0: Welcome to Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. So,
1: Paul, today uh, we might be a little boring. Just today, Rick? Have Have you been listening to our show? Point, point taken.
0: Uh, and that's good, because we now we don't have far to fall. So, how are we going to bore people today? We're going to explain in clear and engaging terms, using our signature wit and charm, Paul, just a little bit about how the wine industry operates. My eyelids are drooping. I've been telling you that for years. Uh, I, I have a cosmetic lotion you'll love. I promise. Uh, so we've gotten two questions asking about the industry. <laughs> and, Sorry. Uh, so wake, uh, wake up there. Uh, <laughs> I, so we, we, two questions asked about the industry, and we're not going to let listeners down. You know, as we mentioned in our, our previous
1: show, we listen to people. Yeah, but we always let our listeners down, Rick. I have to ask again, have you been listening to the show? Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good point. Okay. Okay, well, we're going to try stepping up our game for once. Stepping up our game? Yep, that's All right. Anthony, can we start again? (laughs) Yeah, it's not going to happen. It's going to be the same boring show.
0: (laughs) Also today, listeners ask about plastic wine glasses and stemless glasses and whether it's okay to chill wine in a freezer and for how long, if you do chill it, and if red wine's... uh, let leave purple on the glass means anything about the wine or taste. And as usual, we're going to make fun of wine stops. Yes, we are. Uh, plus, by the way, a couple of
1: reminders. We are still on Capital Public Radio podcast. Lineup. God bless them. Recommended uh, podcast right next to the big names. Sacramento's
0: NPR station there, Paul. Uh,
1: we are also on to Napa, broadcasting Napa Broadcasting, coming out of Napa Valley College in Napa, California, Napa, Napa, Napa.
0: I am I'm I'm a little stunned that they would even uh, hold, it. but then they let you teach there, so that's
1: right. they have no standards. Yes, we
0: we can definitely see that. Uh, we are also available just about everywhere you'll find your finer podcasts. That's uh, Stitcher, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our handle is africanpaul and Paul Go there, ask us a question. We will hear you as we keep saying. Now, that should be our new motto. We, we will hear you. We've said it the before. The only podcast
1: that listens. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's us. We right. don't talk. We listen.
0: Right. Okay. So we've gotten two questions about the wine industry. Before we get to that, uh, there's a study you pointed out. And, you know, I love it when you bring me a study, Paul. Yeah. Because I know how much you love studies. I hate studies. Yes. But this one you like. And yeah. I know why. Because yeah. it agrees with us. <laughs> so this was a study about uh, asking consumers about how they uh, – or uh, looking at consumers in a couple of ways about you know, what they use uh, to make choices.
1: How they choose their wines yep. and what they use to make those decisions. And it turns out that wine writing? Wasn't one of them. Wasn't one of them.
0: So 55% said the descriptions
1: uh, were uh, failed to help. Not helpful. Nope. Not helpful. Even the ones we've been making fun of on the year on the air for six somehow, years. still they're not helpful. Somehow, silky crushed minerality um, is not. That's doing right. It. That's um, right.
0: Forty-five percent. And so this, they probably overlap here. Said they were pompous.
1: Well, that's not true of us, so no. at least we're not guilty no, of that they one. didn't have idiot as a category, so we were safe. We <laughs> were safe. So, yes. That's right. And, and and a whopping 9% said they looked to wine critics for advice. Yeah. Well, for guidance. Now, so, if I were a wine critic, I would look at those numbers and think, Hmm, maybe I'm doing something Let's wrong. See, 45% pompous, 9% uh, trust me. And 55% not helpful. Yep,
0: yep, I would think. That would sounds think like, like Congress. Yeah. <laughs> and wine writers. All right. Okay. So uh, the wine industry, uh, thankfully, operates pretty much <laughs> independently from them. Um, and since uh, we, we did get these two questions, um, we're going to answer or talk a little about that. Good. Um, uh, these are coming from people who've been actually listening to us uh, somewhat closely.
1: I'm, and let me apologize for both of us. We don't really expect anyone to listen closely to the show. So, just we, apologize. We don't, we don't. What? Are <laughs> we got better things to do. Come on. <laughs> all right. Anthony doesn't listen. <laughs> yeah. He's, I have to get Anthony, waking. wake up. Yo! Go! Oh! Get
0: some water, Paul. <laughs> all right. All right. So, the first is from Michelle from Lovely Sacramento. And she said she heard us talk about the slower sales, or wine sales, uh, a few shows back. Yep. And she's wondering, does that mean in stores or in taste rooms and the like, are all wires connected or do trends affect some folks differently from others? And the second one was from our new super best friend John, in uh, yes. McLaughlin, in Froming, Michigan. And remember, he's the glutton for pain who listened to all five and a half seasons over a few weeks. Great. He is, you know, we have
1: recommended him for beatification and later sainthood. I, I think so, and he's clearly a smart man.
0: Yeah. So uh, here, oh, I'm going to read John's uh, question too, and he said. You re- well, already is,
1: read Rochelle's. You're not going to yep. answer her question? No, they're together. They, oh, they are, okay. They're
0: all about the industry. So okay. we're, we're going to put them together. And here's his, he said, uh, I'm reading Rick's book about barefoot wines and the wine industry. I'm now Wait a pe- minute.
1: He listened to our podcast. And he read my book. He listened to my lectures. He read, you're right. And now he's reading your book? Dear God.
0: John, I'm so sorry. I really I, well, I, am what, from both of if us. If you
1: believe in reincarnation, yeah. what must he have done I, in a previous yes. life? Our, our apologies <laughs> are just
0: as best we could say. <laughs> So he says he's curious about the business of being a wine producer or seller. He says, I'm thinking that unlike the romantic thought that every bottle of wine comes from a specific winery with grapes grown and harvested, then turned into wine right there at the winery, that wine may be much more of a commodity-type industry, with grapes being sold all over the place and maybe juice being sold all over the place and actual manufacturing capacity being sold or leased out to whomever wants it. Now, bingo, but it's not the only thing. So could you please explain how things work
1: for a large portion of the industry? So let's, let's define a large portion of the industry in two ways because most wineries, let's say 90% of all the wineries in the world, grow a big chunk of their grapes, make their wine in their own, in their own winery and are often family-owned. However, 90% of the wine made in the world is made in very large production facilities owned by very few companies. Right. So if you can wrap your hands around that or your mind around that – The vast amount of wine made in the world is made by really big companies that sell it on an international, national, and international basis. And in that case, John is right. It is kind of a commodity industry where they create, it's much like big, big beer.
0: Yes, so this starts to uh, to starts to answer uh, Rochelle's question. We're going to go a little more depth on that. Is that right? Those that are um, the part of the big part, the, all of these trends affect them because they're at every level. Whereas the smaller folks are operating a, a slightly in a different business. Um, to get back to what his my book, Barefoot, Barefoot is definitely not the brand rooted in one set of beautiful vineyards with gentle farming folk. Right. Um, as they uh, for them, it was you know they never. Uh, the the founders, which my book is about the founders. This is a brand now; it's the largest single brand um, by itself uh, uh-huh. on earth. But uh-huh. um, and they sell in the millions of cases. They um, but but they were in, not intending to sell that. They were intending to sell good wine. Their whole point right. was: we want you to like our wine. We're not going to sell you a vin- our our winemaker. There are other folks that that sell the 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 gentle wine folk at the place of rooted in a spot as. Um, as John was saying, so I, 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 work, I, I sort of divided. And, and there's a
1: place, and there's a place where this, these, come and meet up with each other. There are wineries in the Napa Valley. Who uh, remember when you make wine, there's a lot of really expensive equipment that you use for about a month every year, and for the other eleven months, it just kind of sits there. So building a winery is a pretty expensive proposition, and so people who do build wineries often offer that facility to – even, for example, we know wineries where the winemaker makes wine for the winery and he also has a project or she has a project on the side, makes a little wine, doesn't own a winery, makes it where they currently work, and bottles it under their label and sells it in a separate location. There are people – who who simply want to get into the wine business Anthony have we got a deal for you yeah, you'll love this yeah, and buy you know two tons of grapes and take them to a winery and make a little wine there it's called custom crush a lot of some of the some of the famous wine brands in the world began as a custom crush project. Some of them still are, and some of them still are. Yeah. And other people want to own everything from start to finish and want to build it on their property and all the rest. So yes. it's it's a really wide range of possibilities that you right. can get into in this. But to go backwards, uh, we're
0: going to divide this into three quick parts. Uh, that and and. There is
1: the large, the very large wines that that make the vast majority of wine that Paul was talking about. And a huge number of the brands you see in supermarkets are made by yep. maybe 10 wineries in, yes. in California.
0: And then um, the second is sort of the, the that middle ground that Paul talked about, and he's going to explain more about that in a second. And the third is the vast majority in numbers, right? and they're the little folk who really only make a couple of thousand cases. So I worked uh, for E&J Gallo Winery. They are definitely the big... They have the, the big boy on the block. Yeah, to, to all their wine glands together are larger than anyone else on Earth. Right, um, and and they are now, now the owners of Barefoot, and they make a handful of brands that um, they are, uh, now bought a handful of brands that would actually fit into category two. Yeah. But fundamentally, what they do is they make wine aimed at the moderate consumer for a lot of those brands, and it's you know somebody buys one in a supermarket or. Slightly more expensive wine, a little wine shop, but they they're made more or less to a formula or a target. They're made in different. Each brand is made with a different style, and this is as much about distribution and marketing as it is about romance. And well, they, but
1: it's also about a very consistent product. Right. It's about a product that if somebody buys it once and likes it, they will be able to go back again and again and again and find that product and still like it.
0: And this is a huge good thing in the wine world. And this is what the founders of Barefoot discovered, which is that. That, you know, it's like buying cereal. You can buy a cereal brand name <laughs> removed so we don't get sued over and over. And then one day it doesn't taste like a, a chocolate cow.
1: What the heck happened?
0: Yeah. And, yeah. You, and you're not going back. Maybe yeah. once, but not twice for sure. Yeah. And wine is just like that. And so if there's, you know, you, you go back because you like it. You know, my uh, smarter than I am wife has a couple of wines that she absolutely loves. And if they changed on her- I would pay for it. She would be unhappy. Now she's mad at me because you know I'm, I'm the guy in the industry, and so right. you know that's right. Somehow it's yeah. my fault.
1: Yeah. Um, so so a lot of those small wineries that Rick's talking about the 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 what let's call them mom and pop, although a lot of times they're mom and dad and kids or- Two couples or whatever, but small operations, let's say anywhere from 500 to 5,000, 10,000 cases, a lot of those wineries are selling all of their wine out of their tasting room at the winery yeah, direct to and consumer. their wine clubs. And
0: they may yeah. have, you know, they have a couple of restaurants in, the, in nearby, right? you know, and right. that sort of thing.
1: But then there's a, another group, not nearly as many of well, them. Let, let me just finish with the giant one.
0: And so those oh, okay. giant ones is really, those are the ones that sell to the big supermarket chains and to the big distributors. And those are the wines that are consistent across the country, and they off they do operate and really from that commodity level that um, that John was asking about. Mm-hmm. It isn't mm-hmm. about romance, although they're certainly selling a story that goes with it. And, and but it is about selling good wine consistently at a,
1: at a, at a good value price. Right,
0: and then right. and then there's the middle ground. Um, and that's that. What you were saying, maybe over five to ten thousand, and under about a hundred thousand. And but and we'll talk about that in a second. But then you were also starting to talk about these little guys are the exact opposite of the of this chain.
1: Well, they're they're selling almost exclusively direct to their their customers out of their tasting room, uh, and they're trying to. They don't really try to distribute their wine. They they really just sell it to their customers there at the winery. All right.
0: And then there's those middle level brands, and and you know if you're a wine, if you're into wine, you probably know many of those brands. You know, there's often they're in places, and they're now it's harder to be these people, so they're probably a little more established. You know, some of the the family wineries in Napa and Sonoma, and and as we were talking before the show, in in sort of the old world too. Um, that they're not giants, but you know they're they're larger than those mom and pops. Well, the
1: problem is if you make more than about ten thousand cases, you cannot sell everything you want right out of your tasting room. So then you got to start selling in restaurants. Then you got selling in retail shops, and that's where those middle wineries come in. And that's hard, by the way, because now you need, you need more people and
0: you need to keep going back and you need distribution. to get. You have to get the wine there. You have to keep getting the
1: wine there. You have to be paying attention to trends. But a simp- simple way to, to summarize all of this is 90% of the wine in the world is made by a very few wineries. And 90% of the wineries make very few wines. <laughs> right. 90% of the wineries make less than 10% of all the wine in the yes. world. And so yeah. back to Rochelle's question, too, about um, uh,
0: lower sales and, and, and wine prices. For most of those little folk, probably doesn't affect them.
1: Well, it, it does. In a different way. For example, when wine sales slow down, often wine tourism slows Ah, down. If wine tourism slows down, then people aren't visiting the tasting room. And so their sales go down as well. And it's fun that when you visit those small wineries, they will follow the trends. You know, they'll hear that Rosé is hot and all of a sudden the next year Uncle Bob – is making a rosé in his little home winery there, and they've added a rosé to the mix. So they, they do follow the trends. It, it's I think in harder some ways, for them, though. It, it's harder for them if they have to depend on the grapes that they grow. It takes a while for a vineyard to go from growing one kind of grape to growing another kind of grape. Yeah, three to four years. But they will they will also – you will find them listening to customers. A lot of customers said they wanted this, so mm-hmm. we made mm-hmm. this new wine. And often, by the way, those little guys um, – the mom and pops are
0: are making wines that are in direct contrast to what the uh, critics who are often ignored, as we mentioned in our previous show, nine <laughs> percent, are are calling for it. The the wine snobs of the world are saying, "Do this because it's something that I like, right. or that I that I haven't written about in a and while." that You should like that you should like. Right. Meanwhile, those those little folks are listening to the customers, and you know they're saying, "If you want a big rich." Red Zimmedol. I'm going to make a big rich. Red Zimmedol. Uh, and if you yep. want a little sugar in it, yep, that no, can I'm happy to do it. Right? right. yeah Of course, we haven't even touched on the layers of sales and distribution, but we're going to wait for uh, another time when everyone's uh, woken up. Right, Paul? Paul. What? Paul? What? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. What? Yeah. All right. Well. All right. I hope that answers that a little bit. Um, <laughs> we could make it more confusing. Don't worry, we will. Um, and uh, uh, we're going to wake you up by now with uh, taking some questions. If you'd like to ask us a question, uh, go to rickandpaulwine.com com or Facebook or Instagram or Twitter at Rick and Paul Wine. Look for us on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, and Spotify, and uh, and enjoy yourself. If you're not listening in one of those places now, All right? This is from Sonia in Lodi. Us right next door. It is indeed, and and, and wine country as well. It is. Uh she says, why do some red wines leave some purple on the glass? Does it say anything about the wine, good, bad, or otherwise?
1: Well, the obvious answer is it says that the wine is purple? Purple. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, it actually actually it means two things, Sonia. One of them is that it's probably made from a couple of different kinds of grapes that have Deep color, and then the second thing is the way the wine was made. Is that the winery really tried to extract a lot of that color, which means they left the juice on the skins a long time, just the way you steep a tea bag to really suck as much out as possible. And so, yeah, what it means is, yeah, the wine is really deep and purple, and it's gonna probably leave that same color on your lips and teeth. Not a good first date wine. Yeah, it's um, right. That's sort of, that's sort of true, actually. It is. Um but yeah, good or bad, completely a question of taste. Yeah, completely a question of taste. Yeah. And
0: it certainly doesn't mean anything's wrong with the wine or no. anything super right with it either. Right. Uh, and some some grapes, I think, you know, one, probably the, the most famously, uh, the Petite Syrah. Yes.
1: Is always going to be a little bit That's purple there. That's the one that came into mind when uh, when this question came up. Yes. Petit Syrah.
0: It's our purple grape. And yep. and they grow a lot of good good versions of that down in Lodi. So it's probably where you yep. saw it. Yep. Um, the second one is from uh, Meridod in San Diego. Cool. And question is, is it okay to put wine in the freezer to get
1: it cold? How long before it freezes, she asks. Okay. So two things, Dodd. First of all, um, you don't want to find out how long. (laughs) That is so true. Because (laughs) if you put a bottle of wine in the freezer, there is a very good chance it will crack. Well, here's what happens is the water freezes first. Right. And the alcohol comes out of solution. Yes. And then all sorts of bad things happen. And if you really want a hand grenade in your freezer, sparkling wine. Yeah. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Because it will, in fact, explode when the gas comes out of solution and the water freezes and the alcohol doesn't, and all of a sudden you have little bits of glass everywhere. So yes, you can put wine in your freezer. Rick says ten to twenty minutes. I say fifteen max. Yeah, I've and done. I,
0: I've done. I've done more than twenty
1: for a simple. So have white. I. Yeah, and I've yeah. also found a broken bottle in the freezer. Yeah, yeah. So well, I'm going to say, so don't s- ever. Put, two hours is a lot more than, than twenty, Paul. <laughs> don't ever put a bottle of wine in the freezer without setting an alarm. Absolutely, absolutely. Set the alarm to tell you when to pull it out. Yes, but it is a, a quick way to do it. Another fast way to to,
0: to chill wine, if you is to. Put water and ice in yeah. a, in a bucket. I mean, or an a ice bowl bucket. or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah ice but, bucket works yeah, actually it.
1: faster than the freezer.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. But but water and ice, the two of them together. Um, you need you need not just ice, not just water. Um, right. And right because uh, the ice
1: is cold, but the water assists in the the transition of the heat. Yes. Yeah. Um, but uh, because you know, I I like to amuse myself. Um,
0: I looked up this about uh, freezing. Uh, and the best, one of the best answers I got was from the physics department at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign.
1: Which is not spelled the right way, or otherwise it would be really cool if it were champagne. I know, huh? Yeah. Uh, but then they go into pretty
0: good detail, because uh, they get questions. The physics department answers questions, which you got to love. Right. Uh, and people ask, and the reason why they ask these questions is because this is um, uh,
1: Illinois. But yes, remember, we're talking not summer in Illinois. No, we're
0: talking winter we're in talking
1: Illinois. We're talking winter in Illinois, and, and it's cold.
0: And people are worried because they bought a bottle of wine at the store, and then they had to run an errand, and they leave the wine in the car. In the trunk. Why? Why do people live there?
1: I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> they're
0: worried. They're yeah. worried about the time they have to go into the post
1: office if the, <laughs> for the, fear the, their wine the, will explode yeah, in the trunk. Yeah, that's uh, you know
0: They uh, so the the folks at, at the physics department say um at, after about 20 degrees Fahrenheit, um, depending on the alcohol level, but the water is going to start to freeze. But now right. your, your freezer is is um, is is warmer. The freezer is 32 degrees Fahrenheit. Right. So you're okay there, basically. Right. Um. You're, but you're you're going to freeze the water. And we said the water is going to expand. And there will be cracks and explosions and all kinds yeah. of fun stuff. The alcohol is not likely to freeze because the <laughs> ethanol freezes at minus 178 degrees Fahrenheit. Yeah. So that's a pretty cold
1: freezer. And by the way- I
0: went out I, on a date once with a woman whose shoulder was exactly that I cold. I was going to say, yeah. especially
1: after you started talking. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Yeah. Um, um, by the way, there uh, for the college students who are not yet twenty-one and who are listening to this in their frat house, um, one of the old traditions is that you take wine and you pour it or beer and you pour it into a plastic container and you put it in the freezer and you freeze it. The water freezes. The alcohol does not. You pour the alcohol off the ice, and you now basically have a greatly concentrated alcoholic beverage from which you can make margaritas. Yes, um, We're not recommending that, however, because no. it
0: seems irresponsible. But that is how it works. I'm just saying it seems irresponsible, and we would never recommend something irresponsible. No. The other funny thing was the person who asked this question— had already had his ball explode from a car, so it was already that cold. <laughs>
1: yeah, right. so that's yeah, that's what happens okay. when you live in I'm, Champagne. I'm Urbana. saying it again. Why do people live? Okay, uh, we're
0: moving along. Moving along. Uh, so next, some really horrible wine writing, Paul. Oh boy. See, you know, if you have this music play,
1: nothing freezes. It's just too much energy, <laughs> too much energy in the room. Okay, so here we go. Dusty garnet, black color. Okay. Are you with me, Rick? Dusty wait, garnet wait, black no, color. I'm already confused. Yeah, <sighs> That's... Uh, aromas of raspberry. That, the, wait. Dusty. <laughs> I'm still on dusty garnet. <laughs> well, Michael. wait. Okay. Here's the next one. You... Aromas of raspberry cobbler à la mode, roasted beets <laughs> with pomegranate vinaigrette, pickled cassis, pickled cassis. Cassis. is, is it's a liqueur. It's a liqueur. So pickled cassis, sandalwood <laughs> polish, and rose petal. With a round, vibrant, medium-to-medium-full body and smooth-appealing, medium-long, bacon-wrapped dates, (laughs) dark chocolate and caramel-drizzled berries finished with moderate oak flavor. Great length and lip-smackability. Now, Okay, the
0: last part I like.
1: Okay, when we read that 55% of consumers think that wine descriptions are not helpful and that 45% of them think they're pompous. Well, not only that, it's it's uh, it's dusty garnet black
0: color. <laughs> it's it's actually they got a they got a, an agreement issue. It's missing a comma of sorts because basically what it says here is a smooth, appealing, medium-long bacon wrap. It's smooth, yeah. appealing, medium-long bacon wrap dates. <laughs> how
1: long so are they, those? So, well, they're right. medium-long. How they're, long? How long they is are They are date?
0: smooth dates, appealing dates, and medium-long bacon wrap dates. Yeah. Yes.
1: Yeah, yeah. And oh, I God. just like the aromas of raspberry cobbler a la mode. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and is it vanilla or what yes. a, What ice yeah. cream do you well, put Well,
0: For sure. Well, oh. it's, and then roasted beets with pomegranate vinaigrette.
1: And uh, pickled cassis. Why is it a pomegranate vinaigrette? Well, because it's made with pomegranates, okay. but pick, pickled cassis. <laughs> okay. I think the only thing pickled was the person who wrote this. Yes, a garnet black color. That's like saying it's a <laughs> dusty. It's like a
0: it's color. like a white dark co- white black color. It's. A, <laughs> anyway. Anyway. Do you have some crushed rocks for us today, uh, Rick? M- Well, almost. Okay. So I have, this one is violet color. Okay. So by the way, uh, these two reviews uh, are from uh, uh, my go-to website, which I'm not going to make fun of them. There's a group who call themselves uh, Drinks Experts. And they have a whole panel that gets together and and reviews uh, various things, alcoholic drinks. Okay. So they do spirits, they do beer, they do wine. Yep. And uh, and they have constant recommendations. And I read through the recommendations uh, when I need a laugh. <laughs> um,
1: and <laughs> well, and you've got
0: one coming yes, up. Yes, and I got one coming up. Uh, yep. This one is a violet color, attractive aromas and flavors of cassis preserves. Right. Pickled watermelon rind. No. Gherkins. Pickled watermelon rind jam. Pickled watermelon rind jam, excuse me. Yes, missing the jam because that makes sense. When was the last time you had pickled
1: watermelon rind jam?
0: Cause, well, I would say because pickled watermelon waller rind could at
1: least be a thing. <laughs> <laughs> but making jam out no, of pickled yeah. watermelon rind,
0: I don't think. Gherkins, so. gherkins, which is just a small pickle. Boys, uh, yes, but you know they could taste the small pomegranate. Yes. Uh, I'm surprised they didn't say pickled gherkin. <laughs> I'm sure that's coming. Uh, pomegranate, savory herbs, hard toffee, hard toffee, not, not soft because they could feel it. Yeah, dark coffee, honeyed crushed nuts,
1: espresso. <laughs> I don't know what this is. Wait, dark. Fla- flamed citrus? Wait, I want to go to dark coffee and espresso. Yes. Well, there's the dark coffee. Then there's the espresso. <laughs> but there are a couple of things in between the dark coffee and the espresso. Yeah. Maybe that's so that you Those won't notice. Those are the honeyed crushed. <laughs> it's
0: right. Let's it, it, it's come up with something stupid so nobody will notice that
1: we're repeating ourselves. <laughs> so, okay, good. Flamed
0: got, citrus. I, have, I didn't even know. I don't, I don't know where to I'm, go with I'm that. I'm thinking
1: citrus and drag is all <laughs> yes. I'm thinking. Yes.
0: or uh, yeah. And here's your favorite. White flower petals. Yes. and Earth with a satiny, vibrant, dry yet fruity, medium to full body and a tingling amuse. Using
1: medium long finish, displaying the shades of ganache with moderate oak flavor. Medium long finish displaying shades of grana- d- g- shades ganache. Shades of ganache is is. Does that mean well, ghosts of ganache? Well, ganache is not a flavor. Ganache is a, a thing. A, a thing. It's yeah. a technique. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. A, it's, yeah. 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 It, shades uh, of ganache. I imagine- Well, it's only, yeah. It's, they're oh, I see where you're going I with think this. they're ghosts yes, the of ghosts ganache. of ganache. It, a ghost of ganache would have been better because yes. then you would have had yeah. the alliteration. And then a very handsome Bordeaux that will be well-loved. Ha- very the, handsome Bordeaux. They could have just done that, really. They it would have told you more. Yes, because gherkins, I don't want pickles
0: in my Bordeaux. Yeah, or pickled watermelon rind jam. No. Well, you know what I do want, Paul? I want some wines that we like, and we're about to give you some. Cool. Yes, so calming. So far from pickled watermelon <laughs> no wine jam. Gherkins <laughs> no, no gherkins there. No gherkins from us. We no are no not gherkins, gherkins in your Bordeaux. So, what, what wine do you like? Well, love
1: you Paul? know, I um, I'm going to put in a word for um, California Chardonnay, and I'm going to put in a word for this because over the past ten years, California Chardonnay has undergone a significant transition, and what used to be consistently big, rich, and ripe. Has now gone to a much more elegant style from a lot of producers. One of the producers that's always sort of made that is trefethen. Uh They've always had a more elegant style of Chardonnay. They're still doing it, um, but I would encourage a, the folks to try some of the some of the modern Napa Chardonnays yeah. that are coming out. The alcohols yeah. are lower, yeah. the oak treatments much lighter. They're fresher. They're more fun to drink, and they really can be delicious. Trefethan's always been really outstanding, and it's, it's, and it
0: is. Uh, it's findable.
1: Yes. It yeah, sho- yeah, shows yeah, up around. a lot of places. You can yeah. find it.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, so, so mine is actually, it is also uh, Napa-based in a way. Um, it is the Pine Ridge Chenin Blanc Viognier Blend. Ah, uh, yes, a favorite. It is a favorite. Yep. And, you know, this is not also easy to find. They make a lot of this, and it's uh, you find a lot of restaurant lists. Uh, and it is... Um, It's an odd combination that goes really well, and now lots of people do it.
1: Yep. Um, Well, and it's funny because Viognier gives you those wonderful aromatic floral notes, and Chenin Blanc always has a nice bright acidity to it, and you put those two together, and it's – Delicious.
0: Yeah, it, it's a really nice blend. Um, I can w- recommend a couple others that are really good. You know, the Clarksburg Wine Company, and uh-huh. obviously in Clarksburg, uh, Terra D'Oral up in the foothills, mm-hmm. two two good versions. But if you see this combination, give it a shot because it's a really nice blend. Yep. These are grapes that come from different regions, yep. but do and, really well and together. You,
1: and you won't find it anywhere else. Yep. I the only wines like this I've ever seen have all been made in California. Yeah. go California. And mm-hmm. the Pine Ridge is is beautiful and 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 very affordable as well.
0: All right, I'm going to take a few more questions because we are affordable answers. Uh, if you'd like to ask us a question, there's all of our social at Paul, at Rick and Wine. We will listen to Paul. you. Paul, it's Rick and, Rick and Paul Wine. Rick, Rick and Paul Wine. I am <laughs> It's intrigued. easy for you to say. Yes, I typed this in bad because, see, I write this down so I won't forget who our names are, and then I still read it wrong. <laughs> all
1: right,
0: uh, so questions from Stephen in Bakersfield. And he says, yes. my wife and I like buttery chardonnay, but, um, but other than wines that have butter in their names... <laughs> And there are plenty. Yes, there are. What clues can I get from a tasty note that says it's buttery? The wine magazine
1: seemed to bend over to not use the word butter. Well, he's right because, of course, if they used butter to describe wines that have butter in them, people would find those reviews helpful. And 55% of people— They can't allow that. They can't can't be helpful. To not
0: allow helpfulness. Yeah.
1: the, uh, he's absolutely right, and it's difficult to find this. It might be easier to read the back label, where the word "butter" might be more likely to appear than in a wine review. Yeah. Uh, the yeah. other option is just to use those code words: rich, yeah, uh, luscious, powerful. Um, but it's yeah, uh, or just make friends with your local it, it, wine shop.
0: Yeah, and even some of the terms that that hint at oak also might hint at butter. Too, yeah, like sometimes something like vanilla yeah. or
1: the things like that. Yeah. But um, yeah, but he's absolutely they're right. Not, they're not very helpful. They won't tell you if it tastes like butter because they don't want to be helpful.
0: Yeah, and honestly, one way to go at this is, uh, and you know, is the sort of those really common community source versions of. Yep. Of reviews, because those people who like those wines, they, they don't mind saying they I don't like don't mind wine. saying it's buttery. You yeah. know? But that's right. They'll also tell you whether it's not, if it's smooth, Paul. <laughs> that's right. Right. That's right. So, yep. uh, this is uh, Charlie and Sacramento. I have a bunch of drinking vessel questions, he says. So, are the plastic wine-shaped glasses like glass name removed so we don't get sued any good? Yes. Yeah, they are and how do they compare to a decent regular wine glass and what a regular wine glass that's not wine shaped, so really a regular glass, I'm sorry, a regular glass, so it's not wine shaped, be better than a wine shaped plastic one and while I'm at it,
1: what do you think of stemless wine glasses? So... I
0: got to give him Charlie credit. Okay. Got of, he's got lot a, lot of, a lot of stuff there. got a lot in there. So
1: first of all... Um, my wife and I do a ton of camping. We do backpacking and all the rest. We don't take wine backpacking very often, but we usually take it camping, and we drink out of plastic glasses, and they work just fine. Yeah. And the only advantage in in it is, as long as the shape is the same, the only advantage to a crystal glass as opposed to a plastic glass, they do actually um, they don't let the wine warm up quite as quickly in glass as it does in plastic. A uh, little finer rim feels better right. in the hand, right. all of that right. kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, that finer
0: rim is sort of a sensation in the mouth kind of but, thing. But you know, yeah, there are yeah. those
1: stemless little plastic goblets. Yeah, oh, there's, uh, there's And some... they work perfectly well. They're
0: right, those those little plastic wine-shaped um, uh, Stemless glasses. ones. Yeah, the stemless ones, right. Those, yeah. are, those are terrific. Yeah, they They're work a fine. Of, a lot of them are really good.
1: Um, I would prefer actually any any wine glass any glass with a, a bowl rather than a column, a, a, than a com- tumbler? More or less a wine-shaped wine, uh, wine-shaped, wine glass-shaped just because glass. because it yes. allows you to swirl the wine, and that bowl captures more of the aromatics of the wine, and that's one of the reasons you're drinking wine is you want to be able to smell
0: right. it. Right. And remember, 85% of taste is smell, and so really what changes that? what you get is when even just sticking your nose in there as you're just drinking it without doing any sniffing and, right. and is so going to affect you.
1: In, in my view, Charlie, plastic glasses are A-OK, particularly if you're on the beach or camping or something like that. Actually, pretty much a requirement on the beach. And and in Rick's house. Um, and Oh, then, oh you, I used to have glasses. I just broke them all. <laughs> Second thing is... I'm using a paper bag Appropriate now. bowl shape is better than a tumbler. Yeah. So absolutely go with the bowl shape. Even if it's plastic, that's better than a glass tumbler. One of the funniest things that I can remember about wine service is I was out at a restaurant in a very posh part of Maine at one point. We were on holiday. We'd gone into a restaurant... <clears throat> I'd ordered a nice bottle of wine, and they brought tumblers. And then they brought water in goblets. <laughs> and I said to the waitress, I'm going to ask a favor. Could you bring a couple of extra of the water goblets? She said, you want more water? I said, no. I just yep. want the goblets because they had that bowl shape, right? And she said, okay. And I said, it's just for the wine. And she said, oh, would you like some wine glasses? <laughs> True story. Yes, I said. What a good idea. Mm-hmm. I ordered wine. I would like some wine glasses. Yeah, and know, then she brought me some wine Lots glasses. of folks do that casual, you know, <laughs> little, little straight-up
0: glass thing. It's not the best way. So, um, And the, the final part of your question is, is the stemless glasses, and totally fine. The, there's totally fine. Any tiny difference. In white wine might, if you're holding it the whole time, might warm up a tiny yeah, bit faster. But, but, yeah, who lets it sit that yeah, way? That's
1: right. Rick, into the glass, into the and, mouth. And, If if I stop at the glass.
0: That's right. right. Sometimes just straight from the bottle. Yeah, if I get away with it. Okay, that's it for another round of Bottle Talk with Rick and Paul. Our producer is the stemless Anthony Van. Thank you, Anthony. <laughs> no, actually, he's got both legs. <laughs> Our associate producer is Jeremy Merrin. Thanks to Capital Public Radio for the serial use and for including us on their podcast. They're highly lineup. recommended podcast. Lineup. Absolutely, listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Ask us a question at Rick and Paul Wine or on Facebook at Rick and Paul Wine. If you learned anything today, we hope it's the wine world is many things, and apparently, if you listen to some wine writers, you can pickle almost anything. <laughs> <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. I'm Rick Cushman. And I'm Paul Wagner. And remember, the best wines are the wines you drink with friends. Or with us. Especially us.